Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Jonathan Mirren to talk about his film Canary in a Gold Mine, and I am just honored and thrilled to be talking to you today. Thanks for having me on, Theodora. So I was more than impressed with your film. It covers so much in a short amount of time and all with a story that is deeply moving and just it, I'm able to go there right with you. And I hope that, and I know that it will open up this issue to so many people um, and also speak to many people who are, who are in similar challenges. So thank you for this work. You're welcome. It's really been, uh, it's been gratifying to, you know, to be honest with this, this project in a certain sense started back around 2014, 15, when I realized I just had to start writing some of these experiences that my wife Godaliev and I had been going through, uh, thinking that, you know, maybe it could be become a piece of theater. And then uh, with the pandemic, it became a piece of theater slash movie. And so I think that's, you know, hopefully our hope is that it seems to be going that direction that, that we're going to be able to reach a lot more people a lot more quickly this way. Right. Well, how about we start off with sharing a clip of the story and, uh, you know, kind of going through the pieces of the film that you want to share today. And for everyone on the call, you can put questions in the chat and we'll be having a conversation and questions as well. I know you selected some pieces. Yeah. Yeah. So um, sort of going with, you know, the producer of this, uh, of the of Canary in a Gold Mine is uh, Sabrina Hamilton, the co-festival of performance based in Amherst, Mass. And, and it was a virtual event in February uh, that was right around Valentine's Day. And so, um, you know, it is kind of a, a love story in a sense and uh, sort of an environmental health themed love story. And so we'll start off with the beginning. When I was a young man, I fell in love a few times, but the last time was with Godeliev. That's God plus love equals Godeliev in arcane French. If I had known that I was going to spend the rest of my life teaching people how to pronounce her name, I might have reconsidered. She was Swiss and still is. And she liked to meditate. I also like to meditate. We met at a meditation center in Switzerland. It was a silent meditation center, so I had to use body language to communicate my interest. She didn't speak much English and I spoke no French, but she met me later in India and again in Switzerland. And when she finally met me in America, it was with a fiance visa. We were married in the woods of Marlborough, Vermont. It was joyful and earthy and hopeful. We were young artists. Seven years later, we were young gish artists with a baby. I remember carrying him through the hospital doors. They were just gonna let us keep him. No license, no diploma. Your baby's going home with you. Don't forget to give him a name. We don't want it. 
So that's a little clip from towards the beginning. Um, and sort of sets up the family situation. Uh, you know. One of the things I found was so um, impressive was the vulnerability. You just shared so much about your life and your family and your internal your internal process that happened for you, starting with your marriage. Right. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about it, you know, from a sort of artistic point of view, it's you're, I'm in a certain sense telling Godelieff's story, but but actually I'm, I'm, what I'm actually doing is telling my story because I can't really tell Godelieff's story, you know, it's, that's her story. And she's communicated that in various ways with different works of art over the years. Um, and then we make things together, but, you know, this is sort of like, you know, what happens when your, uh, partner in this, in this case, you know, life partner, but also artistic partner, um, becomes, uh, ill and, and, and what happens, you know, over the course of the film is, you know, as anyone who's, as many people who have experienced electrical hypersensitivity know, there's a time when, um, you, you don't know you actually, because this is all still under the radar, quote unquote, uh, for most MDs in the U S for example, and people are getting diagnosed with, um, you know, anxiety or, uh, sleep issues and, or, uh, you know, you have a headache, you have these generalized symptoms and we don't know why, but we have a pill for it. And so that's kind of where we were at for, I mean, in her case, she's on the more severe end of the spectrum. So she was having full blown neurological issues like difficulty coordinating her limbs, uh, really bad insomnia, et cetera. And so we were just going from doctor to doctor and, uh, until finally we, someone said, well, it might be this. And then we, well, this is, you know, and this is the story that gets told in the film, but yeah. It's invisible. It's an invisible issue too. And you had doctor after doctor who didn't really have answers for you. Right. Right, which I think, uh, you know, it's not just uh, electrical sensitivity. There's a lot of other chronic conditions out there that are sort of, um, I think the term is gaslit. Uh, you know, they're just, you know, we don't know. Uh, we, you know, so either, you know, you try to go see someone else or, um, yeah, you know, conditions, particularly conditions that are not, that are sort of, fly in the face of um, really powerful economic interests. You know, I'll point out some of the, I, I um, was just working on the this issue in another capacity. And for everyone on the call, if you go to the Department of Labor accommodations and information uh, related to electromagnetic sensitivity, they actually link to the EMF medical conference. So now if you're on the call and, and had in a situation like you're in, you or were in Jonathan, there's those resources are available and they're actually put online um, by US government websites. So it's, it's not that it's not there, it's there. Hmm. But most doctors don't know about it. And when did this journey start? What year was it? Like how many years ago are we? Yeah, so this, um, the, she got sick in, in 2010. 
And um, so sort of 2010 to 2012, where we were trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then around 2012, 2013, that we were figuring it out. And then um, around that time, we 2013 or so, we started to incorporate um, this safe technology issue into our theater work. Actually, the, the first way we incorporated it was with this family audience's show called To Be or Not To Be with Two E's, you know, which was really about pesticides, mainly about pesticides, you know, because we had seen a, a documentary called Vanishing of the Bees back in like 2008 and started working on that show and or 2009 or so. And but then, you know, it turned as we were sort of digging into the research, thanks to groups like the Environmental Health Trust, we, um, you know, are able we're able to sort of incorporate a safe technology moment into this part of the play where you know the kids come on stage at the end and help retransform this farm that had gone from a, a diverse family farm to a monoculture being treated with pesticides and then the kids sort of help bring back the bees and then one of the gifts from uh, a neighboring beekeeper is uh, an ethernet cable and a corded phone so I remember, I remember. And are you still performing that to be or not to be? I we are still. We're yeah. still touring that okay. uh, widely, you know, mainly around New England because that's where we live. But we also created an online, during COVID, we created an online version of that. So now anyone can actually watch that on demand. That's great. And is that available through Pitti Theater, your website? Okay. Yeah. I think I, the easiest way to get that right now is actually go to the Pitti Theater Vimeo channel um, in, through the on demand section. But, uh, but yeah. So, so you start out with searching for answers and where does your journey take you? So we, I can just sort of go to the next clip I have ready chronologically, uh, which is sort of when the symptoms start piling up. At this point, Godeliev's list of symptoms has expanded to include insomnia, difficulty thinking, difficulty coordinating your limbs, spasms, tingling, numbness, agitation, and memory issues. So after two years in this vein, someone finally says, I think you should go see Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a sprightly 70-something-year-old woman who says, I have this much energy because I've completely cleaned my liver. And she listens a little, but what she really wants to do is place remedies on Godeliev's stomach while pushing her arm. It's called muscle testing. And I'm like, really? But after a few months, Godeliev starts getting better. And Elizabeth says, well, you had some Lyme disease and we got rid of that. And you had some parasites and we killed those little buggers. But most of your worst symptoms still remain. I wonder if it might just be the wireless radiation I wonder if you might be electrosensitive like me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wireless radiation? You mean the radiation that's surrounding us everywhere we go all day long? The radiation that's giving our apartment and the three other apartments in the big red house the magic of the World Wide Web? From the glory of the corner of my home office, where I can see the little green light, letting me know that at any moment, 
I can message any contact. I can listen to any music. I can learn any factoid. Let's not start blaming that radiation, okay? But it's too late. We have to investigate. So that's sort of getting into this moment where, yeah, where it was first suggested. And I think like many spouses uh, of electrosensitive people, I was feeling extremely resistant to that idea because I had never heard of it. And um, it just seemed like the worst possible thing to say to someone um, because you're talking about a kind of pollution that's everywhere. And uh, sort of like felt a little bit like a death sentence. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I was, you go into the stages of grief, but I mean, I was just like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that does not make any sense. And there's no science that shows that. <laughs> right. Because how could there, how could it make sense? Because it's literally everywhere and it's, you know, just been so, it's just part of the, it's just, it's just part of our wireless world and that's what we, where we live. And so it couldn't be, you know, obviously someone would have said something or uh, the government would have, you know, regulated it in some way if there was any, any issues, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's just until you've, you know, can't kind of taken a deeper dive and looked at the history which later in the film we do, um, it's hard to really understand how this could have happened. I found it shocking when I first learned about this, there was no pre-market safety testing, no long-term uh, review of the, no looking at long-term exposure and the effects from long-term exposure, no monitoring. I mean, did you have any place to report the symptoms that you were? There's no, there's no one checking, there's no monitoring, there's no, knowledge of what the levels are in the country in any coordinated way. And it's a complete lack of accountability at every level on this issue. I found it shocking, but I really, it really took me about six months of deep research before I took that next step of, oh, okay. Um, and you document all the, the store. I mean, I, I have to tell you, I, I, as I said, it was, just this was just a brilliant um it's a brilliant film thank you oh, yeah you're sweet um but yeah it's funny that you mentioned the six the six months because i remember saying to people as i was trying to communicate this for example to our, fa our family uh -huh. or to any organization or group you know now we actually start our own um little advocacy group here in Western Massachusetts called Hilltown Health. And so, you know, I do things like, you know, we go to planning board meetings and talk with um, elected officials, et cetera, that so many other groups are doing around the world. And, and, but I remember in the beginning, I would sort of say things to people like, well, you know, you have to give this at least, I would say, you know, four hours, you know, four hours of just like, you know, clear, try to look at it with an open mind and just, because, you know, if you just click on it, I, I noticed that I, you know, to bring this up in one context or another, and if someone just does a quick Google search, it's pretty easy to find um, an industry funded or industry backed website 
where right. you know it says like, well, we don't know. We're the American Cancer Society, and things look just fine from here, um, or whatever it is. So, um, and so to be able to then, you know, if that's kind of the answer you're looking for, it's pretty easy to find. But if you don't have a choice, if you're, you know, kind of fighting for your life or whatever the situation might be, you're kind of forced to think, well, who, you know, who's, who are these people sponsors? Who, you know, who, where is the money co coming from or flowing from? And who, who, you know, who, who are the, what are the independent researchers saying? What, what's the history of the research say? And for that, you know, you, you have to dig a little deeper. You have to, you have to spend some time. And, um, but I think when you start putting it together, you know, you start talking to actual living people who are experiencing this. And then you also looking at the uh, peer reviewed science, independent science, and then you're also, you know, looking at sort of the historical context, then it, you know, the pieces fit together pretty, pretty well to. So you go into that, you present that in the film. And you have a couple clips that show both history as well as kind of the stages of taking this in and coming to the point where you are now of accepting that we have a situation and needs to be fixed. Right. Yeah. Why don't, why don't we take a look at the seven stages of grief? This okay. is sort of like that. You know, one of the things that I'm, one of the things we're trying to do with PT theater is to use humor as a way of kind of opening conversations um, or looking at things just as a, I prefer it as a personal coping tool, but also, uh, you know, it just enables everyone to sort of take a breath. And uh, and so that's one of the things we're trying to do with this little seven stages of grief that, you know, every, anyone who's had a major loss probably circled through some of these, not necessarily in sequential order. When it started to seem like Gurdjieff was electrosensitive, I didn't know it, but I started cycling through the seven stages of grief. I mean, how do you know that this isn't Lyme disease? Because if it was Lyme, we could just treat it and get better. If it was Lyme, we could treat it and get better. If there is um, something I can say or do at this point to make amends, to say I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If there was something that I did in the past, or you know, if Godeliev did something in the past, I'm sure she also would say I'm sorry. She's she didn't tell me to say I'm sorry, just to be honest about it. But uh, to you, but but I'm I'm passing that along. She didn't want the Wi-Fi. I put it in anyway, and I took her from her country. I could just give up and stay here forever. Maybe that's just the way it is. 
Raw capitalism. Some people get hurt. Some people make a lot of money. And as Sweeney Todd said, the history of the world, my sweet, is who gets eaten and who gets to eat. You know, there are people who have reduced their symptoms. And uh, you never know. The FCC might have a come-to-Jesus moment and, and decide not to harm anyone anymore. And they might pass campaign finance reform. And even if they don't pass campaign finance reform, Senator Blumenthal might do something. He might. Mr. Chairman, uh, thank you uh, for having this hearing. Uh, we've heard from a lot of witnesses from you today and others previously about the very important potential of 5G. And then Senator Blumenthal goes on to ask the executives if there's any research, ongoing research on health effects, to which they say no. And then he says we're flying blind on health and safety related to, to 5G. Yeah, if anyone hasn't seen that, you know, that's a, that clip that EH Trust has on YouTube. Um, it's a great it's a great clip because it's, you know, I think been fairly rare for, um, for example, a U.S. Senator to really dig in in any kind of public context about this issue. But um, I think Senator Blumenthal has been hearing, uh, hearing about this in Connecticut, you know, thanks to people like Blake Levitt for quite a while. So, yeah. So there were the stages that was, thank you again. So um, I think there is a role for, for adding humor to this tragedy so that we can sort of handle it as well. Yeah, um, watching that again, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, for people who haven't actually looked into the seven stages, uh, you know, of course that's based on a, on a famous book about um, grief. I'm blanking on the author's name at the moment, but. Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross. Yeah, exactly, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, those are not, in, she sort of lays them out in a sequential order, but she, it's also clear um, that it's not, you don't literally go from point A to point B, you, you, you're sort of circling through it in a, in a period of mourning. And, um, you know, of course, there's, it's funny thinking back on it, because you know, there's the mourning, you know, for what's happening to your loved one, or, you know, for your, to your own health. Um, but I think there's also, I think people go through a kind of mourning for their devices, if that makes any sense. This is, this is not literally, it's not so much the phone itself, but like kind of what the phone has come to the role that it plays, you know, because the phone is our, or is many people's connections to, to their friends and their family, and it all gets kind of mushed together, I think, internally, and 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 it also, you know, it also, I think, there's a mourning for this. For me, it was partially about like, um, I guess, sort of the end of a kind of naivete about mm. our government's role in public health. Um, are, you know, the, just even, you know, even something like, you know, that, that 
in America, something like this, you know, I think we, we grow up with all kinds of deep internal beliefs about, you know, that someone maybe is going to be someone, someone's watching out for us, uh, which of course, you know, there are people watching out for us, but, um, but that this was, is just sort of a, such a massive failure on a, on a regulatory level. Um, it's, it's hard to fathom. So, so, you know, there's, I think there's different kinds of loss. And then there's also, I think literally the, you know, at that point, I think I, I think, I think I did have a cell phone. I wasn't like full, this was 2012, I guess. I had a cell phone. It was sort of like a little bit in case I wasn't using it as my regular mode of communication, but I was definitely, you know, we have pretty, we we're kind of coming out of this, but in the Western Massachusetts, it took a long time to get uh, fiber out here. And a lot of communities are still using kind of fixed wireless systems because it's very hilly terrain and blah, blah, blah. So, I, I, you know, we were literally sort of trying to run our theater company on, on dial-up and then on um, satellite internet, you know, for years. And uh, it's, as, as I sort of talk about at the end of the film, we, we got fiber optic, um, I think about six months ago here in Charlemont, Massachusetts. And it's made a huge difference, which, you know, local business people all around, you know, in rural places have been saying for a long time. But my point about this is that uh, in 2010, 12, I would like to get work done. I would go to some Wi-Fi hotspot. If I ever really needed to send, you know, put together a, an email that would quite require a lot of pulling together links and things, you know, if there was a lot of work to do and be done, better go sit and get irradiated for three hours in some cafe somewhere. So it was just kind of like a, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, it was a big shift to sort of realize that this had to, you know, that this was all impacting not only my wife, but also, you know, my health, everyone's and everyone's health around me. It's, it's really, it's big. <laughs> it's big. It affects everything. Yeah. And uh, people who, I mean, I know for me was going from, wasn't just accepting this unacceptable situation, but realizing that the cavalry wasn't coming, that, that I needed to do something, which I think is something that a lot of people are coming to, that they are the ones who are going to make the difference. And together, I always say many hands make light work, but if we don't all actually do something, then it will just be as it is and nothing will change because there isn't, uh, you know, there, there isn't that, certainly any government agency that's checking and ensuring safety. So there are a couple questions in here, and I, I know you have a couple clips, but I just want to make sure to ask them. One yeah, is- Yeah, and be, before you go to those, I just want to throw in a quick thing. Um, you know, when you talk about just kind of coming to the end of the seven stages of grief, I think another reason why, you know, we, people who are sort of looking at this issue and they're trying to share the news encounter so much resistance is that if you really do a deep dive into this issue and kind of come out, on, it, wherever you want to call it, hope or acceptance, acceptance or hope. The hope really comes from essentially saying, well, I mean, I mean, it's hard to do a deep dive into the issue without becoming an activist in some way, or, you know, even if it's just an activist locally, it's, you know, knocking, or, you know, telling your neighbors or telling your family, you know, that's a kind of a form of activism because otherwise it, life becomes extremely 
depressing, at least from my point of view, to think like we're, we're this is just the way it is. We're just going to continue to be harmed. Everyone is going to continue to be harmed at this level and at an increasing at increasing levels. It's uh, so so that so to when pe people get a glimpse of that, oh, if I really keep going down this road, what's going? You know, am I going to become an activist too? Am, am I going to become one of those tinfoil hat wearing? people who get made fun of on Better Call Saul or whatever. I I hear you so much. I mean, it's, and I think some people, because you can't not, it's either, you know, it's kind of like fight or flight. You know, it's either, okay, this is bad. And you just shut down as many people do when they, you know, I've talked to people in my family that decide that they're just not going there and they just, it's over. Right. Um, or people like, what are you going to do? You're going to, I have hope. I have infinite hope. And that comes from knowing that this can be fixed, but right. that came out of the darkest place out of the most unhopeful moment <laughs> Right. where it was like, wait a minute. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, is it, this is a mountain. This is like, you know, can you move a mountain with your bare hands? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's been. I mean, you know, if you look historically, there's so been so many really hopeless, you know, even more hopeless and horrible than this. Uh, you know, I don't have to get into every historical example, but um, where you know, as you know, I, it's funny these quotes that keep circulating, but you know, they they circulate because they're so good. You know, small groups of committed people, Margaret Mead, the only thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, and also, you know, one that resonates with me is Dr. Martin Luther King, which is, you know, you take the first step, even if you can't see the staircase, you take the first step. Yeah. And it, it, there's some things that just have to be done. Right. So on that note, it's not canary in a coal mine, it's canary in a gold mine. How did you come up with that? Asks. Uh, um. You know, I, I think in French, they, there's a there's a French phrase, you know, my, my wife's Guadalupe is Swiss French, and so I've been forced to learn French as a result. And um, <laughs> the, the term for that is jeu de mots, you know, like wordplay. Um, and so, you know, goldmine, you know, that refers to the, the trillion dollar industry that we're talking about. That's ah. Yeah. To the trillion dollar industry. I mean, you know, in other words, she's not, a, she, she's a canary in a coal mine. Yes. That's the metaphor that we all are familiar mm -hmm. with But in, in the 21st century. And this particular coal mine is actually a gold mine as in like, you know, the wireless industry is an, is an incredible gold mine and it, you just see it, you see it everywhere. It's always cheaper for that. You know, this, this whole, um, I don't know if people on the, on this call, follow the work of the irregulators but they they're a group of lawyers uh telecom a lot of former telecom lawyers who are doing really interesting work around you know the massive accounting fraud um you know that the wireless industry has been up to for a while um and so the i'm not going to go into that whole thing they have a website but the 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 point is that it was cheap, you know, in the nineties, there was a lot of little fees on our phone bills and those were to pay for the fiber, for fiber optic for everyone. But 
they, you know, it's cheaper to build out wireless than it is to build out fiber. And so that money was reappropriated, um, I guess, in the zero, you know, sometime after the 90s towards, towards you know, wireless build out, which is, just, yeah, it's, it's cheaper for them. And, and their, their job, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's easy to point the finger at people, but their individuals, individuals are functioning in a system where their job is to make, is to maximize profit. That's, that's their job as, you know, business people. So it's not, you know, pointing fingers is, is one thing, but government is supposed to be mm -hmm. Doug Wood, Doug Wood from Americans for Responsible Technology is really good at this point. Um, government is supposed to be the buffer. You know, the way capitalism is set up, we you know we can get into a critique of capitalism, but I don't know if this is really the place, but it, you know, these, these people in the wireless industry are, are doing their job, maximizing profit any way they can, you know, and sometimes that's, it's meant, you know, fraud or whatever, but they're, they're all functioning in this, in that mode, but the government's government's role, as Doug is fond of pointing out is to be the buffer. And so if the, if the buffer has been kind of like taken over and there is no buffer, that's what we have now. So it's a little bit about reclaiming democracy as some are other people are fond of saying. Well, that's interesting. I, I actually, when I heard the title, I, I, my, what I put on it from my own experience, I guess, was that it was a gold mine because, because now, like for me, it was like, now I know, like, I'm glad I know, you know, even though it was hard to know, because oh, I didn't really want to know, I right. was like, I am so thankful I learned about this. Right. And I wish I had learned about it sooner. And that's why that sort of got me going to try to educate my friends and family, none of whom really wanted to know. But <laughs> I, I was like, guys, like, wouldn't you, once I know what I knew, I was like, I got to tell the world this. This is too important. Right. You know, I had, when I had my babies, I had that phone right on them. Where was that phone? It was on the babies, you know, like the whole time. So I wish I had known. You know, why didn't so anyone you, tell me? Right, right. So you're saying for you, the, the, the metaphor goldmine was just about, it's like a goldmine to know this. Because it's hope. It's, it's, hey, we can fix this. That's actually how yeah. I interpreted it. Yeah, that's great. I guess that's how art's supposed to function or poetry or whatever you want to call it. Word, you know, words, they have different meanings for different people. But yeah. that's, that's cool. I, I like that. You know, and it's, um, you know, it's obviously what Godelieff has been through, uh, by extension, you know, the people who love her has been through, has been horrible, but at the same time, I do, I am grateful. I'm grateful to her in the sense that, um, if she was not electro hypersensitive, you know, I would be, you know, having my phone to my head like everyone else and, you know, bathing in Wi-Fi, uh, like everyone else. And, and then, you know, so now I'm 50, you know, when I'm 60, 65, you know, it's a, it's hard to predict, but you know, basically, I'm I've been able to, you know, take steps. She, I mean, she's 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 helped me live a healthier life, and and by extension, mm. our son, mm -hmm. doing very well with with no phone and no Wi-Fi. But, it is possible. Yeah, be fully it's, connected. It's called a need. Yeah. Yeah. You can get them. You can get them at Staples and other places. So tell. So play us your next clip. Okay. Yeah, maybe we could talk a little, maybe this next one will be um, this sort of 
look at what happens when you try to share you try to share um, this information with other people. And I start to hear that phrase very regularly because whenever I catch up with someone William. I haven't seen for a long time and they ask, how's Godaliev? After I explain how she is, there's usually one of four reactions. How's Godaliev doing? I don't know if you've ever, you ever heard of this thing called, um, people call it electrical sensitivity or EHS or microwaves, like she, people getting sick from wireless. Basically, she gets neurological symptoms when she's exposed now and even to relatively, you know, kind of small amounts. So she's kind of housebound. Like, so like she's got some other things going on and then the Wi-Fi or whatever, it, it, it makes it a little worse. Is that what you mean? A little bit. I guess you say housebound, right? Uh, what, are you, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> not, not Wow. Yeah. I am so sorry. Um, so how's Ezekiel? It's everywhere. It's hard to go out. It's funny because I remember they were talking about this in the 90s and then it all kind of just disappeared. And hmm, she's kind of like a canary in a coal mine, you know. I, yes, it's just like so many pieces of that. I just have had my own experiences similar to that. The incomprehension, you just name it. You just lay, you just showcase it. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I think people who have been working on this issue for a while have all, you know, it's sort of like, a, I think the, this is the term Rorschach test, you know, you like you show someone something and depending on their conditioning or, you know, what they, they there's just some reactions that tend to repeat over and over again, which actually connect to that the seven stages, you know, it's sort of like, um, I think someone mentioned in the beginning, you know, the, the, the most that often, you know, people just, when you mention this subject, people just like literally get angry at you. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, if the messenger, they, yeah, the messenger, messenger gets right. but, um, yeah, yeah. It's fun to try to, you know, Art when you when you start looking at this sort of uh, taking years of experience and trying to condense them, you know, art, art has a way of trying to you know condense longer complex narratives into into in this case an, an hour, and so you know then when we when we can sort of see it in this encapsulated version, encapsulated form, you know, I don't know, maybe it can give ideas about you know you can just sort of next time you have one of those conversations and you know, instead mm. of getting getting mad at the person for the you know you just realize oh yeah this is they're they're trying to process something which is hard to process yeah i know that when i over the years have talked to so many people who are sort of new to it coming into the issue and they have questions and they feel alone and they feel like they're trying with their friends or their family and they're like, I don't understand it. I'm, I'm giving them the information, but I'm getting these responses and, and they feel like it's just them. And um, I'm always talking about, um, you know, this is, there's so many people with a similar experience that it's not just you. The issue is challenging. It's just 
really important for people to know that it's not just them. And those, re those responses are really natural. They are part of our defense mechanisms as humans that we have to information that's so shocking. Yeah. And life altering. Right. Now, so what's, what's coming to mind is the, um, you know, I know people on this call, you know, are part of, you know, are generous donors to Environmental Health Trust. And it's like so important to support nonprofits working on this issue. And, you know, we also, PT Theater does fundraising and, and you know, some of the sort of like the advice for people who are doing fundraising is, you know, you have to reach out to someone seven times or something. It's a little bit, it's what's coming to mind about this issue. You know, you just because you mention it once, it's, you know, most people, it's, that's not, that's not sufficient, you know, twice, three times, four times, five times. Oh yeah. You know, that, yeah. Just the way the mind works by the six or seven time. Oh yeah. I think I'm ready to look at this. Yeah. In my, when I first learned about it and was, you know, sharing it on emails and talking about it all the time and, you know, found people responding with a wall. My dear friend said to me, you know, fellow mom, when kids get a new food and you put it on the table, they don't want to eat that food. She said that, you know, science has shown, I think it's like 17 times. It's a lot of time. She says, you got to keep putting it on that table because I was feeling hopeless and like I couldn't fix this thing that I had just discovered and that seemed really important. And when she told me that, that was a turning point for me where I was like, oh, so if it's gotta be 17 times or six times or however many times, then well, let's get on it. Then we gotta go, then we got a lot of work to do because we have to get people up to that 17th time. And that was actually like, life altering for me and brought me that hope because I realized that that's just what was going on was that it was an alien idea and it needed time to sink in so it didn't seem foreign like you know so yeah so what other clips do you have I can show another clip um okay yeah the you know one of the things that that the movie kind of depicts is it, it took me, I think you mentioned six months. I think it took me six months to a year to fully, you know, there's, there's also different levels of, of acceptance, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of like, oh yeah, this could be something. And it really wasn't until, you know, go to live and I had multiple experiences around this sort of testing, um, testing to see is this really helping to reduce and, and um, there's that a moment I don't think I have a, this clip to show that people have to maybe watch the movie but um there's a moment where where she we've gone moved to a different apartment in Switzerland that we think is supposed to be have less radiation we know it has less radiation because it's like on the edge of the village and there's no wi-fi and whatever uh, compared to where we, we had been staying for a few weeks at her parents' place. And then she gets up in the middle of the night and, and kind of flees this apartment that we just moved into the, that day with Ezekiel in her arms and goes back to stay at her parents' house, you know, which we know has more Wi-Fi and whatever. 
because um, she says something is wrong with his apartment. I'm like, oh yeah, so actually this is great because actually great in a certain way because she's delusional. You know, this is not, <laughs> she's not really electrosensitive. And then, you know, she comes back the next day and she's like, well, it must be something, you know, with the wiring, if there's no Wi-Fi, not, you know, because there's just something also called dirty electricity that is a whole nother thing that, you know, she's like, oh yeah, from bad to worse. And so, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. There's yeah, it's dirty electricity. Um, but then, so we get this building biologist version of a building biologist, the Swiss version to come and measure. And he's like, yeah, something is wrong with the electricity. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, you're, you're delusional like my wife. And then, um, but then, you know, we mention it, my wife mentions it to the landlady and, and she calls in a Swiss electrician and you know, Swiss electricians are very uh, conscious about code and, and how to mm -hmm. do things. And he's mm -hmm. like, yeah, there, there's a current vagabond, a straight current, you know, the, the electricity, so something was wrong with the electricity. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, she actually is an electrosensitive. You know, this was after like months and months of, of and I still had not fully accepted it, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm a slow learner. But um, let's see, what can we, we could look at the, the Herman Schwann clip, or we could Great. look at, yeah? Yeah. And this is where we turn to the historical roots of the situation. Electrical sensitivity is first and perhaps more accurately described as microwave sickness by German doctors treating radar operators in the 1930s. The mysterious symptoms they observed were dizziness, headaches, fatigue, heart palpitations, difficulty concentrating, etc. The doctor might have asked, what seems to be the matter? And the radar operator might have said, es kribbelt in meinem Finger und ich habe Kopfschmerzen. Which means, I got this tingling in my fingers and a headache, like book, book, book. Fast forward to 1945. The US military is like, hey, some of those Nazi scientists could be put to use for the good guys. And one of them is named Hermann Schwann, who notices that there's a certain strength of the radar beams that allows the operators to cook hot dogs. And magically, over the decades, Mr. Schwann's observation about what heats the hot dogs becomes equated with safety. It becomes known as the thermal threshold. In other words, how strong is the radiation before it starts to heat what it's hitting? And this is what's known as our contemporary safety guideline. If it heats your skin, it's dangerous. If it doesn't heat your skin, we're good to go. And that thermal standard? is you know, what we have today in our limits is primarily based on protecting against heat, not any of these other, other neurological or you know, effects on all our body system, systems. Right, and so I guess this is part of, you know, I also mentioned towards the end of the film, um, you know, the lawsuit that Environmental Health Trust and Children's Health Defense won um, you know, forcing the FCC to to look again at uh, at those standards, or at the at you know at the eleven thousand pages of evidence that has been submitted. And we await a response from the FCC on that. Yeah. So, 
Uh, we have a little time left. Uh, there's a couple questions I wanted to make sure I got in. Um, and I also want to talk about how this has been received. I know you presented at, I think, the University um, of Albany. Yep. And I'd love to know how that went. And as well, I had some questions about electromagnetic radiation in cars that people are asking and some other questions. So how has it been going presenting this film? And what's well, next? Yeah. It's, it's been, I mean, it's, we just, we keep getting emails uh, from people really, you know, tragic, but, um, you know, emails that as an artist, you feel like, oh, you know, it's been worth devoting my life to art uh, for this, uh, you know, because you sort of feel like you've made a difference in people's lives. Um, so that's been great. Um, you know, we're sort of navigating these waters of like now it's on demand but we also want to communicate to people that they can screen it in person which is you know the university of albany was the first in-person screening um so that as we sort of hopefully are coming out of covid and more there's more public gathering um that people can yeah contact your local library, contact your local theater, contact your local university, your local performing arts center, if this is something you want to happen in your community, um, we want to help you do that. Because that, re you know, it's sort of like reaching out to, like there's there's one, one level where I've, we're very gratified that people who are, have suffered from electrical hypersensitivity or other chronic conditions can watch this and um, see their experience reflected in important mm -hmm. ways and share that with their loved ones and their families and that that can be a tool for that kind of outreach. But, you know, this is also a tool that people can use to, you know, you can, you can, at this moment, you can buy a ticket for your local elected and send the link as a gift to your local elected official, your local, whoever you want to, you want to share this this is just you know one way of you know when we talk about you know it took, took me a year six months to a year or it took you six months to kind of grapple with this issue in the 17 times you know my hope with this film is that you know this could count as a few times you know maybe if you show someone this movie you then only have to bother them three more times after that because they've you know uh, that's the way art can function sort of like open yeah. up open up a space where you can have conversation it really does. It can take you much quicker through, I mean, also you cover so much ground and it's, you can relate to it instead of it being this strange. It's like, I'm on a story. I'm listening to the story. Right. Story. Stories are how, yeah, are basically how, you know, how humanity has passed on information for a long time. Um, and also, you know, just like a shout out to, I share environmental health trust links a lot in especially in our work with Hilltown Health um, and one of the th reasons I do that is that I feel like you know you and your team Theodora do a good job of taking complex information and you know putting in the picture and putting in the blurb and you know ways that people can digest and so I want to thank you for that and, and I know there are you know hundreds and hundreds of groups who are grateful for those web pages and being able to share that information and your generosity with, you know, I know I emailed you while we were making this film and said, can I use this or that? And you said, yeah, just 
use it, use it all. So that's a, it's a great, you know, you, you're, you're also in the business of translating complex information into, right. uh, you know, and communicating it to, to everyone. Um, and that's, that's also what we try to do. We try to do it in a different way through, through story, mm-hmm. but we do it, you know, I mean, we, we've had a lot of practice with, of it, with it at this point. Like I actually, people, <laughs> we, uh, the, the comedic autobiographical solo show I made before this was about my experience with Crohn's disease, which is another really mm. fun, fun topic, but, um, Ooh. yeah, yeah we, you know, just throw us a chronic, chronic, chronic illness. We'll, we'll make a funny show about it. No, but, um, well, yeah, it's, uh, but we do it with science topics. We do, you know, we do a lot of work with local history, you know, find inter- interesting stories in communities and kind of bring them up and share them. And with the idea that understanding history, you know, helps make people better citizens, better citizens. So anyway, that's kind of, that's uh, part of what we're trying to do. Great. Well, thank you so much. I want to just get one question that um, Jonathan asked. What about electromagnetic radiation in cars? We've talked about buildings and how are you handling that and your wife? Um... (laughs) Well, you know, um, we have this uh, 2004 Honda Odyssey that's painted with bees, you know, for our, when we we toured across uh, Canada, Western Canada uh, in 2019 before the pandemic. And we're like, well, if we're, if we're going to drive this thing across the U.S. and across Canada, we're going to have a, uh, you know, put our to be or not to be stuff on it. And, um, but anyway, I mean, that's the first thing that's coming to, you know, we, the newer cars, I, I know that we can't, we just can't, I mean, I guess there are ways to just disable all the nice Bluetooth Wi-Fi functionality of the newer cars. But um, I think there are, you know, for if you can find a car that doesn't have all that, that's, you know, one strategy. Another strategy would be, um, you know, I, I guess I have, I'm all for um, what, you know, where we need to go in terms of climate change. But I think I have questions about, the amount of dirty electricity in the hybrid vehicles and like the, I think there are ways to mitigate the magnetic fields from the the batteries and the, batteries and the power there. you know I um so I too have a 2002 and I it's really really challenging to figure out the next step because having measured a lot of vehicles you can turn off you can disable some of the wireless antennas, but oftentimes not all, and it really depends on the model of the car. Um, but I know that uh, Courtney Gillardi in, in Pittsfield had emailed me a conversation she had with Mazda, and other uh, other groups are having conversations with car companies, and we need to be having that conversation, writing them. So in the email back, it talked about acknowledgement that there are fields and that they need to be reduced, electromagnetic fields. And this is a huge issue, especially for, you know, not just families who use the car with their kids in the back seat that might be right over the electrical system or, and so forth, but occupationally for workers, bus drivers and so forth. Um, And it really needs to be urgently addressed, just like they're starting to address the bright LEDs too late, but starting to happen, uh, the car manufacturers 
And I think one thing that everyone can do is write, write the car manufacturer and tell them and write to the board and write to you know, as many of the top people in the company as possible and get that information out. So there you got one of seven or is it 17 or whatever the number is, just get it going because they're fully aware. Mm -hmm. They need okay. to hear from the consumers. Right. Yeah. So and we need to do, go ahead. And it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, the, the people who, for example, if you're driving Uber for a living or mm -hmm. whatever, because, you know, one of the things I've, I like, I've enjoyed hearing you talk about over the years is, um, environmental justice mm -hmm. the way that environmental justice issues fit into this issue and the way in which um, you know lower income communities or mm -hmm. people, low income people are are at a higher risk for all kinds of environmental hazards including including this one you know if someone installs a 5g antenna outside your apartment building and you don't have the money to move then you're stuck if you don't have the money to hire a lawyer you know, it's it's in rural areas, but it's also in um, it's in urban areas, but it's also in, you know, I see it here in the hill towns of Western Massachusetts. You know, the people when AT and T wants to put a cell tower up next to someone's house, um, you know, the people who have the resources to hire a lawyer do a lot better, and so this really cuts across race and class, and and the, the, those are issues that. I think we all, everyone needs to do more work to raise up. Absolutely, it's, it is an environmental justice issue, full stop. I mean, everything from the, even going to property values, right? They're ugly, put up in, in communities, uh, you know, lower income communities, they are just the ugliest facilities. And then in other communities, the, area has gotten historic rules and they're, you know, they have to look a certain way and they have to be set back and they have all these protections in place uh, to protect the property value, as well as we have apartment buildings here. They're 20 feet from that apartment building window and the people aren't even informed because if you're a homeowner, you're informed, but the renters are not. And yeah. it just goes on and on. But I, I think about people who never can figure out that they have a sensitivity to electromagnetic radiation. They're having all of these issues. It, when I was in the hospital, the women had like five devices. They had like three hooked onto their chest, right? They had like a walkie talkie, another thing and another thing, and then things in their pockets. And they don't have a choice. You know, there's not, right. I have been privileged. I have wired computer. I have a wired phone. Right. I, I'm able to do these things. A lot of people are not able to afford or even have that. They weren't given that knowledge and they can't fix it in their employment without losing their job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I just took the train from Penn Station to, uh, to Greenfield, Massachusetts. And yeah, coming out of, you know, through the Bronx and seeing what they, what's, you know, what's on the rooftops you know, and how close that is to those apartments. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, people like Camilla Reese with Manhattan Neighbors for Safer Communications are, are working in New York and there's people working in, in other places. But it, yeah, this is, it's a, it's a yeah. Who, who, has, who has the time and the money, you know, who's gonna, who has the $30 to go buy a, a phone shield and who doesn't, who has, who has access. You get a meter. 
yeah, to get a meter to know what's going on. You know, what, you know yeah. $150 to get a, you know, low to medium grade meter. You know, that's why it needs, they need to be in every library. But then you have, you know, there's a, there's a whole, there's a massive amount of public, of education to be done. And that's, you know, what I feel like Environmental Health Trust and many other groups are, are, are doing well, but it's just, there's a lot of work to be done. It's a big lift. We need it all hands, every, yeah. And I'm whatever looking, you, I'm looking forward to making more. We're looking forward to making more, more stories, you know, about this issue. Great. Well, as you did in your film, you said, you know, scientists publish papers. You had like, you know, we, we all do what is our skill. I'm an artist. So here's what I did. And that's what we need to do is take that without what you can do well and bring it. Yeah. If you want, I can show that clip to round it up. Round sure. It up. And then we'll, we'll say goodbye. That's great. Do you have that ready? I'm that's fabulous. Yeah. One of my favorite moments. And so the question is like with many seemingly insolvable problems, now what? For the telecom industry, the answer is clear. Deploy 5G small cell antennas in close proximity to homes, schools, and businesses while developing 6G. And then they can deploy 6G while developing 7G. And then they could deploy 7G while developing 8G, but that's you know, just a guess. They don't have a choice. They're in a system that requires constant new streams of revenue. The sales of 4G phones are flat. Getting everyone to upgrade to 5G is a trillion dollar payday. That's trillion with a T. You know, if I was a scientist, I could write a paper. If I was a doctor, I could develop a treatment. But I'm an actor. I can include safe tech in our show about pollinators. Number three, reduce your use of wireless technology. See gift. Gift? I think that's it. Nobody gives me gifts. What? An ethernet cable. An ethernet cable. And, oh, a corded phone. Wow. Mm. We can be in documentaries. Hey, can you tell please about uh, your connection to electrosensitivity? I'm going to cry. <laughs> We can make a show about a clown who becomes electro-hypersensitive. There is Bluetooth. <laughs> Antenna. <laughs> we can go to protests. And uh, the reason we're here is that they're about to have an open meeting about uh, 5G and basically they're kind of 
deliberating about how to make it as easy and painless as possible for the telecom industry to install hundreds of thousands of mini cell towers. Thank you so much. And uh, again, can you let people know where they can find information at the CoFest and yeah. streaming on demand? Yeah. And your URL for Petit Theater? Yeah. So I think the safest bet is to go to ptco.org slash canary, or if you just remember, you know, it's, it's sort of an acronym, PT Theater Company, ptco.org slash canary. And there you'll see clips from the show, and there's a link a direct link to the co-festival website's ticketing page. You know, we're sort of in this hybrid mode between theater and, and film. So we, you know, it's, you go to the co-festival who's a producer and they, um, you know, they, they're offering it on demand. Great. Like and, uh, yeah. So yeah, and then, so, you know, there's. I know we have to wrap up, but if you if you do end up watching, if anyone ends up going and watching the film, um, you know, just to look at that team, you know, the the team of artists who, you know, who they talk about, you know, I'm, I'm sort of the writer performer, but but I ha we have a great team at this point, and we're just very grateful uh, for all those people. Great. Well, thank you so much. I hope. Everyone who's listening, if you haven't seen this, please watch it and share it and onward. Thank you, Theodora. Keep up the great work you endeavor. There's also, you know, there's at the very end, I get to mention Dr. Davis's, Dr. Davis's um, sort of call for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, you know, we're, I'm grateful to you and I'm, I'm grateful to Dr. Davis and to the team you've assembled. And, uh, Thanks everyone for tuning in.